Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Good morning. Welcome to Grace Crossing. My name is Josh Bertram. I'm the associate pastor here. We're in a series called Grace Anatomy, and this series has the idea behind it, the theme that Christ, when he came and then left after resurrecting from the dead, which we believe actually happened as a fact of history. He sent his Holy Spirit that empowered the church, and then this church began to expand. And as this church expanded, there were different leaders within that church that wrote letters, people that had close association with Jesus when he was bodily here doing his ministry here on earth, and then people who had profound encounters with Jesus, and they wrote letters to churches, and we have those letters in a collection of 27 documents we call the New Testament, having the gospel stories of Jesus and autobiographies in the book of Acts, which tells a story of the early church, and then letters from the different apostles, and then one really crazy book called Revelation. You should read it. It's awesome. Now, these New Testament authors, they use the imagery, and even more than imagery, they use the language to describe the church in many different ways. And one way in which they described it, which was a key theme, and really described the reality of the church, was that we are the body of Christ. It says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 27. And this is our theme verse, so we've been using this entire summer. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you are a part of it. So essentially, we are like our bodies with souls that inhabit a body and control that body and and the mind that uses the physical structure of our body to navigate the environment as a tool to make an impact and complete the mission of our souls in the environment that we are, the church is similar. And that all of us are a part of the physical representation of God, the physical representation of Jesus Christ inhabited dwelt in by his spirit and empowered to do the mission of God in this world. And of course, we talked about it last week, a little bit of how we have needs that we have, emotional needs, and we need community. See, God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally living in community. And he's created us in his image. And so all of us, whether we believe in God or not, whether we are disciples of Jesus Christ or have entered in that relationship, we have a need for community. Now, have you guys ever been in an awkward situation? Raise your hand if you've been in an awkward situation. Okay, maybe this feels like an awkward situation to you, me asking this. But I have been in a few awkward situations myself. And you know, you get into this moment where you just kind of sit there and you're like, how do I respond to this? You know what I mean? You're like, I'm really at a loss for words as to how to respond. Well, that's happened to me on several occasions. And I'm going to tell you about one of them. And this occasion involved a guy that I actually don't remember his name. I just call him One Cheek. And I'm not going to explain why I call him One Cheek. You can use your imagination. That was another awkward moment. But I'm going to explain. I had a few awkward moments with One Cheek, and I'm going to explain one of them. Now, I was uh, driving from my home back to college And I went to a rest area uh, to get some food and some coffee. It was on 95, Interstate 95 on the East Coast, heading north. I lived in Virginia, and 
had my college in Pennsylvania, and so as I was driving, I, I, I pulled off, and I noticed a family sitting there, and they kind of looked distraught, and I kind of just felt inside that I should probably talk to them. So I did, and that's when I met one cheek, and he was a very large man, like extremely large, probably the largest man I've ever met in my entire life, and he was really nice, and I kind of, for whatever reason, just decided that I would help them out. You know, I think God was putting it on my heart. And so um, me and one cheek, I'm sorry, I really don't know his name. Maybe I should change it to Bill or something. But me and Bill, uh, we got into the car, my truck, my nice little Ranger. Uh, I love that truck. Man, I miss that truck. But anyway, I, we got into that truck, and he took up about, you know, 75% of the truck, and I was like in this one, like driving like this. I had like this horrible, you know, crank in my back afterwards. But as we were driving, um, you know, Bill would say weird stuff, like as we were driving. He, and one of the examples he gave um, is we were just kind of driving, and, and it had been silent for a while, and we had talked about, you know, small talk here and there. And he goes, hey, um, you know, kind of a weird, like, high-pitched, but like raspy voice. He's like, hey, uh. You know Topanga? Now, we have a picture of Topanga. Um, we'll show it to you from Boy Meets World. Does anyone know who Topanga is? Raise your hand if you remember Topanga. Okay, he's like, hey, uh, you know Topanga? And I'm like, uh, I don't know what you mean, you know, sure. And he goes, uh, she's some kind of hot, huh? And it was one of those moments where I didn't know what to say, you know, I was like a 20-year-old, he was like 50, and I was like, I guess, you know, and I was just driving, and it was one of those moments where I just, um, I was at a loss for words, you know. Hi, Topanga. Thank you for giving me a very interesting moment in my life that's forever seared into my memory. Well, everything worked out with Bill, but it kind of makes me just think about how we have these moments in life where there is a response that is asked of us or required of us, you know. It's like we're in conversation, and within that conversation, somebody reveals something from their heart, something from their mind that's kind of hidden to us, you know, because we only have access to our thoughts. And the only way we have access to someone else's thoughts and feelings and their internal world is when they let us in through their language or through some kind of other body language or, or whatever it is, we don't have access until someone lets us in. And, of course, that access is always filtered, and it's filtered by the other person. But as we're in these conversations, somebody will say something. Maybe you've been in those things, and you've been at a loss of how to respond, but the nature of the conversation kind of evoked a response or is meant to evoke a response within you. Like maybe someone has come and confessed something to you. Or maybe some is, someone has come to you, maybe they even texted you and said they're struggling right now with depression or with an addiction. And you kind of sit there and you're like, I'm supposed to respond. This is a situation that is requiring or at least trying to evoke or stimulate a response from me. And, you know, in those moments, 
Something's going on inside of each of us. We talked about this a little bit last week there. We come to these situations where there can be a gap between our internal reality. What I mean by that is our skills and our experience, our skill with language and communicating what's going on in our hearts. I mean our talents and our attitudes. I mean our feelings, our disposition in life, our personality. All of those things come together to form our inner reality and the situations of life, they kind of require us to do something in them. They each have a set of demands. And when there's a gap between the situation in our life or situation in our heart, our internal reality and the demands of the external reality, and when that gap is negative in particular, it can cause a lot of stress. And what we talked about last week is that God wants the body to grow. And God sees the gap between the real us and the situation, demands that the situation is placing upon us. And God sees those things and understands them in advance. And he has built in a growth process to bring us to a place where we can bear fruit. Where, where we can actually have a result or consequence of the process that God has brought us through that will both give us the sustenance, the energy, the reward that we need that's fruit and yet at the same time contains within that fruit a seed. And the seed is that part of the fruit that can reproduce the fruit, that can have influence, that can make copies, that can begin to expand beyond the individual organism or whatever and can now propagate and move out into the world to make an influence. And God wants us to bear fruit. This is the point that Jesus makes in Mark chapter 4. He's talking about the parables of the kingdom, and he comes to one of the last parables that he says there, and he says that this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. And so the kingdom of God produces fruit. The kingdom of God goes through a process which is a step-by-step series of stages, each built upon the last, each stage requiring the previous stages of growth that moves us to this place of fruitfulness, that moves us to the place of getting the intended consequences and results, the ones that God wants. Not only that, we get the reward, and then we get to influence the world around us. See, the kingdom of God will always bear fruit. It may start as something that seems small and insignificant, but it will grow to a place where it is fruitful and it is obvious and it makes a difference, a profound difference. As a matter of fact, nothing makes a bigger difference in the kingdom of God within an individual. But God didn't have in mind just individuals. God didn't just have in mind us becoming just better for the sake of getting better. Or feeling better about ourselves. No, God has a mission. Because God has a plan. And he had a purpose, and he had a purpose from the very beginning. 
And he has forever seen this purpose in his mind. And he has brought together the different events of this world for all of them to move towards his intended purpose for this world. And so as individuals, we get to go through a process that is a mirror image, in some ways a reflection of the greater process that God has the entire world going through. A process where the kingdom of God is bearing fruit, where it's moving one stage built upon the last. And one day the harvest will come and one day God will come and he will gather his harvest. And it's not just for individuals, but actually this kingdom of God, no matter where it is, it grows in the same kind of way, bearing fruit, moving Forward, And so as we, as individuals, go through our life, we have situations that call a response. Something is revealed to us in every situation we go through that is supposed to bring out a response within us. And that response can instruct us. It can instruct us on what God wants in our life. It can instruct us on our strengths and our weaknesses. It can instruct us on where God is leading us. And in the same way that as individuals that happens, it happens to us as groups of people. It happens to us as a church. See, God just doesn't have a plan for us as individuals. That is, he does have that. But he has us as individuals collectively gathered together. He has a plan for the groups of believers and Christians and people who love Christ and are part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is going to produce fruit, whether it's an individual or whether it's as a collection of individuals. And when we think about it, that's what the church is. See, the church is a collection of individuals. And the church, capital C, is a collection of individuals through all of history. And those of us who know Christ are now part of the collection of individuals that make up God's body, his church, within even more specifically here in Beaver Creek. So we can look at this and we can actually begin to understand that God has a plan for us and he is going to move us through a growth process to bear fruit. And at the same time, he wants us to be involved. Rather, he expects us to be involved in his body, his church, and as a collective unit, and I'm talking about Grace Crossing Church, those who call this place their home, God has a very specific process, growth process, intended to bear fruit for this church. And I am not a prophet, but I want to make a promise to you today, standing in faith that a time of harvest is coming for this church, a time of fruitfulness, even beyond what we've experienced is coming for this church. And I encourage you to take seriously your involvement here, to take seriously your involvement in God's church. Because it's not our idea, it's his idea. The church is God's plan A, and there isn't a plan B. There is no alternative. Jesus didn't bring the armies of heaven with him when he ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to inhabit regular people that then became his church. 
and they were endued and filled with his power that could accomplish his mission, and that's the way it's been for 2,000 years, and that's how it will continue to be until God finally brings all of this to an end and then starts a new heaven and new earth with his believers and his family that he gives a new body, a body that will match their soul, eternal, perfect, freed from death and disease and pain. God has a plan for this church. And right now, he has a process that he is bringing our church through. And as a collective body, what we are to do is we are to discern what process we are on and where God is actually taking us. And of course, that is different levels to different people involved in this church. But I want us to think about an idea here that when we think about the overall effectiveness of a group of people, that effectiveness is always and forever contingent, is based upon the effectiveness of each individual then collectively brought together. Let me give you an example. In our church, we believe that God has asked us to be an emotionally healthy church. A church that is self-aware. A church that is asking the heart questions about what's really going on. A church that is emotionally honest and isn't putting on a mask and a fakeness and saying everything is okay when it isn't okay. A church that is loving people well, which includes being honest and sometimes bringing a difficult truth into someone's life because we see where that dangerous path is leading them. And God is asking us to be an emotionally healthy church. But here's what that means. What that means is that God is asking the individuals involved in this church to be emotionally healthy. And then as a collection of people who are emotionally healthy, we become an emotionally healthy church. See, we know that any team operates on this principle. We are only as strong as our weakest link. We are only as strong and effective as each individual understands their part and they are growing in their effectiveness. And so that how this has worked with us is that God has started with the leaders. Now, leaders aren't any better than anyone else. What makes us leaders is God has appointed us here for this time with this group of people to help discern his vision and where he's going and where he's leading. And as individual leaders, what's happening is God is saying that it starts with you. See, we did an Emotionally Healthy series last fall, but we had been doing it since the time I came here five years before then. And I've had to have difficult conversations with Pastor Gill. I've had to talk to him about how I've been hurt by him, and he's had to talk to me about how I have hurt him, and it's not easy to do, and it's very difficult to do, and yet we jumped into it, and life had to come and help us sometimes because we got stuck because of all the relational things that we had going on in our lives. He's my father-in-law. He's my mentor. He's my pastor and my boss. That's a lot of stuff. And so we had to have people come in and help us. And yet, we went through the difficult practice of becoming honest, of trying to love each other well, not just so that we'd have a good relationship, which is a great part of what is happening there, not just so that we would be strengthened in our love for each other, no, that we would be leaders in this because God has called this church to do it. 
And in any organization, in any team, the person who God has appointed to lead and move forward, if they are not doing it in their heart, then it will not be done. There isn't a ripple effect that we know because certain people, their decisions carry more weight because they affect more people because of the position that they're in. So we know that where the church goes, the leaders have to go first. And we've been going there. And now then it ripples down. It begins to affect the other leaders, leaders moving out in the concentric circle of people who influence to connection group leaders, to ministry leaders. There are people sitting in this room where I have sat down with them and explained what emotionally healthy spirituality means, and we've talked about it, and we've had conversations, sometimes that were difficult conversations, all because we feel like God is asking us to do this. Now, why am I bringing this all up? Well, it's because we think God is moving us in a clear direction where he is going to bear fruit. But there is no fruit without a growth process, and the growth process is always hard, it's always difficult, and it's always composed of individuals who come together and form a team to do God's will because we cannot do it on our own. Ministry has never been done solo on our own. It has always been done in a team. Jesus had 12 disciples and apostles. Paul had an entire ministry team around him. Same thing with every other church leader at that time. You can't look at the Bible and you can't begin to understand the origins of our Christian faith and not see that this was a team effort, a team of people, collection of individuals who God, each and every one of them, individually called them to grow, to move, to give their hearts wholeheartedly to the gospel so that it could be effective because God knew and God designed it in the same way that we're talking about today, that we will only be as effective as the people within our group are effective. And God is calling this church to bear fruit. He's calling it to make a difference in Beaver Creek. And there are two things that happen two kinds of fruit that we begin to see, that we begin to understand when we look at Scripture. And there's a passage that we started talking about last week, and I'm just going to briefly talk about here, and that the Apostle Paul, <clears throat> he was writing to a church he'd never been to. But he was writing these unbelievably impactful, profound, beautiful words. And he talks about a concept of being fruitful. We talked about it individually last week. But he actually, before then, was actually talking about it as a church, as a whole church. See, Paul never wrote a letter to an individual. Uh, well, no, that's not true. He did to a couple individuals. But in these cases, Paul was writing to a church. Not to one person, but to the church as a whole. And here's what he says in Colossians 1, 5 through 6. Here's what he says. He says, we always, 1, 3 through 6 rather, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Notice he's saying we, ministry team. 
because we, ministry team, have heard of your church faith in Christ and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Here's what Paul is saying. He had a ministry team. He had people that worked with him, that grew with him, and he's sending a letter to a church, a collection of individuals, and he's saying there are two types of fruit that I'm seeing in your life, and I'm praising God, and I'm thanking God for them, and those fruit, the the content of that fruit is that you have faith in Christ Jesus and that you have love for God's people, for all of God's people. See, faith in Christ Jesus is more than belief. Faith in Christ Jesus is trust. Actually, when you begin to look up what trust means, it means this confidence in the ability, reliability, truthfulness of someone or something. I don't know about you, but I cannot actually know somebody is trustworthy and know somebody is reliable. They will, they will keep their word. I can't know that what they say is true outside of an experience with them. I don't know what the president of the United States is like because I don't know him as a person. I don't know what the leader of some CEO of a company is if I don't know them. I can see that maybe they're effective in that area. I can see some fruit from it. But until I know a person personally, understanding them, having great relationship with them, I will not know them. And when you look at what faith actually means used in its original context in the letters of the Bible, what you see is that faith is not only a deep, personal, trusting relationship, confidence in Jesus Christ and God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but it goes even beyond that, that this actual faith begins to prove itself over time. It is self-authenticating. And actually what happens is that proof, that relationship becomes the evidence of itself that it's real. It's just like when someone you know and trust and love says something, you take them at their word. Their word serves as proof and evidence to you that what they're saying is true or that that's the reality about that situation. And as we get to know Christ more and more and more, what we will find is that he is trustworthy and he is good and he never speaks false. He always speaks the truth. He does not lie. He cannot lie. And he will actually become evidence for us, our relationship will become a proof to us that he is real, he is good, he has a purpose for our life, he has called me to be a part of a church that is effective for his kingdom, and then our lives will then become proof and evidence for other people that we know. It's not just about faith in Christ, which is the central core of what it's about, but it moves beyond that. Faith in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus that is growing, maturing, self-authenticating, becoming proof for others to see in our lives and proving to us time and time again that God is trustworthy and good. But then other people see it and it becomes proof for them. And what begins to happen is that we grow in love for God's people. Another way to put it is that we start loving, caring about, thinking about, becoming affectionate for, wanting to serve and grow God's church. The people in this church 
the people we interact with, the people that we love, the people that we grow in our love for, the people that we can pray for in the body of Christ to already know him. And then the people that don't know him yet. See, God has always been a missionary. He's always been someone who has a purpose and a plan and a mission. And his mission has always been the lost. It has always been those who don't know him. It has always been that he would come to a people that even reject him and that he would overwhelm them with his love. And we now have a revelation, something revealed from God. And the situations that this church faces and the situations of our culture in America and the situations that we face every day in and out as we come into contact with people who may know Christ or may not know Christ, every single one of those situations presents us with a revelation of a kind where God is trying to tell us something, show us something. And the more the situation sticks in our mind, the more that God is trying to speak to us in it. And God wants us to take these situations that we have and the people that we're not sure about, the people we don't know if they know Christ or not, we don't know if they love God or not, we don't know if they have a relationship with Jesus the same way that we have a relationship with Jesus, we don't know, and then God wants to put it on our heart to begin to pray for that person, talk to that person, look for opportunities to pray and bring that person maybe to church, maybe to our connection group, which means that we're involved in some way in these things. Maybe it's just to have a conversation over coffee or to start maybe reading a book or talk about an interesting article that was about God or about creation or about science or whatever it is that you're interesting but interested in, but connecting the bridge between you and them. Why? Yes, to have a relationship. Yes, to make your life more rich. Of course, those are great byproducts. But no, the central reason, the most pressing reason, the reason that we are to go out and reach out to people is not so we'll feel good about themselves or they'll feel good about themselves. No, it's to introduce them to the king of the universe who came on this earth and died for them, shed his blood more precious than anything else in this world. And he did it so that we could be saved, so that we could go through the process of growth and then get to the point where we can now begin to have fruit, have fruit in our lives, in our children's lives, and in our neighbor's lives. Because the reality is every single one of us have been the product of someone responding to God. If you know Jesus today, you have a debt of gratitude to the person who said yes to the person who responded to God. It's amazing when you look more in this passage, and this is, we don't have time to go over all of it, but in the last verses of this passage, Colossians 1, 7 through 8, here's what it says. It says, you learned the good news from Epaphras, our beloved coworker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. You know, I wonder what it was like for Epaphras. I wonder what it was like when he came into a context that was foreign to him. I wonder what it was like when he had nothing but a call. I wonder what it was like when he came and he began to have conversations with people in those ancient cities. And maybe it was a little awkward at first. 
Maybe it didn't make a lot of sense at first. Maybe he had some trial and error, and he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, or uh, that, that wasn't the right way to put it, or I don't know. And then he fell before God and prayed and prayed and prayed and worked hard for this people. And maybe, just maybe, as Epaphras began to have these conversations, I wonder what it was like as he was responding to God's call. I wonder what the first time that was like when he saw the spark in someone's eye that it started to land with them. And then I wonder what it was like when he was able to baptize the first person who left the darkness of paganism, the darkness of idols that were counterfeit and only wanted to kill and destroy that person. And they, for the first time, experienced the hope and the love of Jesus. I wonder what it was like for Epaphras. But in some way, I don't have to wonder because I've been in his shoes. And I'm not special but God gave me strength. God gave me strength to talk to my friend Danny. God gave me strength to continue to pray for my brother Joel. God gave me perseverance and strength to begin to talk to Ben. God gave me strength and perseverance to continue to pray pray for John and look for opportunities. Time and time again in my life, I have written someone off and then felt the Lord bring deep conviction that it's not too late. I still love that person. I want that person. And has asked me to do something. And it's never comfortable. And it always feels a little weird. And there's always an awkwardness to it. But yet at the same time, the fruit of it is unbelievable. Because see, in the end, guys, the reason that the church is not plan B but plan A is not because we're all so skillful. And it's not because we're all so effective. And we could be skillful and effective, but that's not the reason that the church is plan A and not plan B. The reason that the church is plan A is because the church isn't just the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. I want you to think about that for a second. See, one of the things that God uses to talk about the church is it isn't just his body, it's his bride. And when you begin to look back at what Jesus has done and how he taught and how he lived and then how God sent the Holy Spirit into his people, into his, the people who wrote the New Testament and, and who lived for God, all of them, they began to understand that this was Christ's bride. And when we actually look at the Bible, what we see is that marriage is this eternal bond, this covenant that's made between two people, a man and a woman, to actually begin to live for eternity together. And, And it's awful that sometimes it doesn't work that way, and it's really hard, and there's no judgment here for anyone in whom that has not worked. But in God's eyes, when he says that the church is his bride, it means he is forever faithful, forever there. He is forever protecting and guiding and moving 
forming his church. And it means that when his church is lost and when his church is off of the path and when his church has rejected or moved away from him, his heart wells up in compassion as he pursues his church and the two become one. Our destinies as the church of Jesus Christ is forever tied to God's destiny. It's forever tied to the destiny of Jesus Christ who paved the way, was the first apostle, was the first one who came and did everything. He was the trailblazer. He took the machete and got rid of all the stuff that was in front of us. He did the hard work in moving towards his bride because he loved us with an eternal love, unending, unbreakable, there forever. And we get to join God now in the same way the two become one. We are eternally bound to Jesus Christ. His church is his bride. And God didn't take his cues from the human institution of marriage. No, the human institution of marriage came as a reflection of God's very image in his heart. We are the bride of Christ. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ because we're the bride of Christ. And God wants his bride to be presented to him in all of her beauty and radiance and majesty. Not because we're so effective or we're so great, but because his love has come into our hearts and empowered us. And he makes us pure. And he makes us perfect. And he has this path ahead of us. For each of us as individuals. And for us as a church. See, there is a response that God wants all of us to make. And he will give us the choice. And maybe today, you don't know Jesus. When I'm talking about this, it makes no sense to you. And yet, at the same time, there is a deep conviction in your heart. Maybe you've never felt it before. I want to tell you that that conviction is the spirit of the true God, the only God wooing you, drawing you in, wanting you to experience for the first time love beyond imagination. And I want to give you a chance to respond. So very quickly, if everyone would just please close your eyes, because in our culture, it seems like it's just easier for eyes to be closed so that people can feel the freedom to respond. And I want you, if you're feeling in your heart that God is speaking to you, I would love for you to indicate it to me through the symbolic act of raising your hand just once and you can put it down. I would like you to do that right now. Could you do that for me this morning? Okay, you can put it right down. Now, here's what I would love for you guys to do. Before this moment passes in your heart, I want you to take an opportunity to write down on a card so we can know 
and we can follow up with you and we can help you in this journey. You will need someone. You'll need the body in this, and we want to do that. And the second thing, or you can come talk to one of us. We, this, this room has many, many people that would love the honor and privilege of partnering with you and praying with you. Myself, Pastor Life, Gene, his wife. We have other connection group leaders. We have other elders, Dale Benedetti and his wife, Anita. We can come to them and... and if you know of someone you know is a leader, please talk to them. Now, second response here. You guys can go ahead and open your eyes uh, if you would like right now. But here's where the response is, and I'm going to pray for us. But I just want us to think here for a moment. Um, all of us owe a debt of gratitude to an Epaphras that was in our life. Someone who took, took the risk. Maybe it was our parents. Maybe it was our brother or sister or friend. Maybe it was a pastor. But here's my question. Who in your life are, is God asking you to be an Epaphras for? Who is that person? To pray for them. To ask God for the opportunity to talk to them. To not lose hope, but continue to move forward. To stay in relationship. To show them God's love. I know I have people in my mind if you have someone in your mind, write them down, put it on your phone, whatever it is, share it with someone. Share it with someone. Share it with one of us. We'd love to coach you and pray for you and talk you through all of it. God wants us to build his church, but he's going to build it through us. He's, he's given us this privilege. And he has this process the church is on, and he is going to bring fruit. And we can trust him in that to grow his church, his bride, his body. Father, thank you for your love and your goodness and your grace. And I just ask right now that you help all of us. God, whatever it is, I know that I can give passion and I can preach like loud. And sometimes maybe it sounds you know, super intense. And God, I pray that if that's an issue, that it would just move through their hearts. God, I don't mean anything by that. It's just your word, you know, in me. I just feel it. But I just pray, God, that each one of us would um, fall more in love with you, that we would find our place in the body of Christ, growing in love for God's people, love for the people God has brought into our life, you have brought into our life, and then growing in our faith, our confidence in you. And I just ask, God, that you would help me, help all of us, help us as leaders to, to model that and help every one of us who are leaders in this room, our families, our businesses, um, you know, the teams we lead or help with or, or wherever it is, God, I pray that you would help us to take your word for what it is, your word to us in love and grace. And that we would begin to take steps towards knowing you more, loving your body more, having deeper faith, and responding in faith, God, to the people you put on our hearts. And we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. We're here to pray with you, talk with you if you like. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.